So turn uh, to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 16 this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 5, and we have uh, communion, as was mentioned also. And so great Sunday uh, before us. Um, so Acts 16, the title of this morning's message is An Extraordinary Disciple Named Tim. Not Tebow or Keller. All right. So we're going to have to be okay with that. This is the one that's in the Bible. And uh, going to look at this and hopefully get really encouraged as followers of Christ as we look at this extraordinary disciple. And what we're going to see this morning really is simple. Two ordinary commitments of an extraordinary disciple. We're going to see that in Timothy's life. And so where we have been in the book of Acts you know, in Acts chapter 15, they had what was called the, the Jerusalem Council, where they were um, deciding in the early church just, just whether or not this cultural practice of circumcision would be required for someone who became a Christian that wasn't Jewish. And they were wrestling through that and they made their decision. No, circumcision is not required. The law is not required. And then they went back to Antioch. They shared the news. We saw last week the title of the message last week, last week was Even Good Christians Have Conflict Too because Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement about John Mark. They went their separate ways. And so now Paul chooses Silas and they're about to go check on the churches that they went to before. And this is the second missionary journey in Christianity, the second one in the book of Acts. I'm going to show you a map um, just to show you kind of where they started out was in Antioch which is just over there. Let me turn and look at it like you are. Antioch is over there. And they're going to go from there. They're going to go to Tarsus. And then they're going to go up to Lystra and Derbe. And the thing about it is this. like, Had Paul and Barnabas not had their disagreement, they probably would have gone to Cyprus first. That's the path that they took on the first missionary journey. But it said in the verses last week that Barnabas and John Mark left and sailed to Cyprus. So maybe Paul was like, well, I'm, we're not going the way they went. I don't know. But maybe Paul was like, well, we don't have to go to Cyprus because Barnabas isn't with us. So let's go through Tarsus. Either way, here's the thing to know. They went basically on the same path as the first missionary journey at first, but they went in reverse. And the reason that's key is just think about this. Think about this. They wouldn't have probably done that otherwise, but they did do it. And at the first town that they stopped in, Paul meets this extraordinary disciple named Timothy, who he would have met at the very last stop had they gone the way they went in Acts 13 and 14. I think that's, I think that's profound. So let me just read to you the passage and, uh, and then we're going to get into our two points this morning. Acts 16, uh, 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Bow with me and pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for these precious verses in your word, God. Lord, we ask, we we bow before you now, and we ask, Lord, for you to speak into our lives. God, your ways are higher than our ways. Your wisdom is higher than our best idea. God, we need you to shine the light of your wisdom, of your truth, of your salvation, of, of your Son into our minds and hearts this morning. And so we pray that would happen as we now study your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. An extraordinary disciple named Tim, not Tebow or Keller. I know that's disappointing. So the uh, first commitment of an extraordinary disciple, and I think what you'll see this morning is these are ordinary commitments. He's so extraordinary, not because of extraordinary characteristics about him, but because of ordinary commitments that he made as a disciple. That's what we see. And so the first one is this, personal growth in my walk with Christ. Personal growth, committed to personal growth in my walk with Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. All right? Timothy, sorry. You know, the, uh, <laughs> the Greek for Timothy, um, it means, you know, uh, theos, like the word theology, God, and the, the beginning of it, Tim, is honor. Honors God, honoring to God. Timothy, Timotheos, Timothy, whatever you prefer. Now, what we learn about him from Acts 16, 1 through 3, is, is what? I mean, what do we see here? We see that he's from Lystra. We see that he's there when Paul arrives. Now, this is a town that Paul had already been to. Um, we see that his dad was Greek and his mom was Jewish. So that's an interesting thing about him, that that his dad was not Jewish. He was spoken well of, it says, by the brothers in two towns. One being the town where they were at. And then Luke, who's writing Acts, also says he was spoken well of by the brothers in Iconium. That was sort of the, the big city next to these small towns. And so he's just saying Timothy had a great reputation as a disciple of the Lord. Now, who was Timothy? Just a little quick bio on him. I mean, I'm already into it, but but just some other places in the New Testament because we hear from him, we hear about him a lot. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul calls him his child in the Lord. Now, why is that relevant? Because what it almost certainly means is that the Apostle Paul, when he went through these towns, Lystra and Derbe, in Acts 13 through 14, which we already looked at, we saw what happened there. Chaos happened. 
they, they started sharing the gospel. They, they actually, through the power of God, were able to heal someone. And then all the, the village people started making sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And they said that Paul was Zeus and Barnabas was Apollos and all this stuff, right? And, and Paul and Barnabas are like, no, no, don't worship us. We're just people. Anyways, that whole story. It seems like nothing good came from that situation. Except Paul got stoned and left outside the city because they thought that it worked, that he was dead. So, so Timothy must have become a Christian in that episode. Think about it. You know, it's funny. Maybe Paul, maybe Paul was impacted when he stood as a witness to the stoning of Stephen. And then he later would come to faith in Acts chapter 9. Well, here, maybe Timothy was impacted by the stoning of Paul. And he later becomes a disciple. Well, anyways, what we know is Paul says he was his child in the faith. And Paul was single and had no kids. And so what this means is that he was his personal convert. He led him to the Lord. Timothy is called beloved and faithful. In Philippians, Paul says of Timothy that he has no one else like him. He was an extraordinary disciple. He tells the Philippians that he is selfless and has a genuine concern for their welfare. That's later in Timothy's life, but I think we're going to see already today the seeds of that selflessness. In 1 Timothy 5, there are books named after him, right? Because the books are letters. In 1 Timothy 5, we learn that Timothy had frequent stomach illness, and Paul tells him, drink a little bit of wine, okay? You know, basically he says, take your medicine. Stop being stubborn. Take your medicine. That's what that really means. 2 Timothy, we learn that Timothy's grandmother and his mother both had sincere faith in God. So we learn that about his grandma and his mom, but we never really hear anything about his dad other than that he was a Greek. And the way that the word is sort of the verb in Acts 16, it leads us to believe like he was a Greek, like he was a Greek before he died. That's what people think. So his dad was maybe not around. So he spent time in prison, we know from Hebrews 13. So just just a little intro to Timothy. So, so again, the point here, the first point this morning, these two ordinary commitments of an extraordinary disciple. And the first one is personal growth in my walk with Christ. All right, let's talk about it. What we notice here is that, that Paul comes to, to this town and it says that Timothy is a disciple He's there already. And it's been about five years since Paul was there. And it says not only is he a Christian, but he's a disciple. And, and not only a disciple, but he's a disciple who's spoken well of in two cities. I think what we can take away from that is that Timothy took personal growth in his walk with Christ seriously before Paul ever started mentoring him. And that's really, really important to see. Here's here's the point. Really, I want to talk for a moment about the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ in our lives. You do not need a Paul to grow 
in your walk with Christ. It would be great to grow under a Paul in your walk with Christ, but you don't need it because Jesus is all sufficient. And and you could even take that and you could apply that in some other ways. You don't need fill in the blank good godly thing that is a good hope that other people may have that you look at and say, gosh, if I had that, like fill in the blank, you don't need good thing to grow in your walk with Christ. It would be great to grow in your walk with Christ with that thing. It would be great. And it may even be God's will, but you don't need it. Second Peter one verse three says this. His divine power has given us, here it is, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything. The all-sufficiency of Jesus in the life of a follower of Christ. This is a big Big deal for us as followers of Christ. Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13. I want to read this to you because this is a verse as college football starts that's going to be taken out of context a lot, all right? Let me read it to you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So Paul's like, listen, Philippians, I'm thankful that you guys wrote me a letter and sent me a care package and showed your concern for me. It's great. I need that. I appreciate that. I like community and you're showing community to me. I'm grateful for it. But then he says, indeed, you were concerned about me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Watch this. Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, though. He's like, it was great. I wanted it. It blessed me, but I didn't need it. Like true definition of need. For I have learned, here it is, to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So we'll stop there. So he says, I've got the secret. And the secret is not, I read the book on minimalism and I've learned to be content there with not much. No, and and I've had a lot of things and I've learned, of course, to be content with a lot of things. So, So I'm good. That's the secret. Just adapt. No, that's not the secret. The secret is verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The all-sufficiency of Jesus, whether in want or in plenty, if you have Christ, you have it all. You know, you don't need a Paul to be a Timothy. It'd be great if you had. God may really want that. In fact, you could argue God does desire for people to be discipled by other people. Like, hello, of course. But you don't need it. You need Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ and your faith is in him, you have Christ and you have all you need. So here's the challenging question. What is the thing you have been making too significant and been giving too much power to 
causing you to not experience and to not display to the world the all-sufficiency of Jesus in your life? Is it a Paul? Is it finding a spouse? Is it a relationship or some form of relationships like community has to be this for me to be this? Is it budget, money? Is it a staff person, a leader, some form of, you know, HR? Is it a thing, a possession, a technology? Is it a substance? Jesus is all sufficient. You know, an important caveat would be it would be great and may even be in God's plan to bring about that thing, if it's a good thing and it's something you're praying for, into your life, for your growth, it would be great. But you and I can grow in our walk with Christ without it. And that is the point. Committed to personal growth in my walk with Christ. Timothy had more than you and I do. I'm sorry. Edit. Way less. He had no New Testament, had not been written. The printing press was not out, which is kind of irrelevant because there was no New Testament. No church buildings till the third century. No electricity, no cars, no airplanes, no internet, no YouTube, no Wikipedia. And yet, when Paul shows up to Lystra and Derbe, Timothy is already a disciple. He's already mature. He's already spoken well of in two separate towns. See, the big misconception that many people think, and this, I, I was excited to get to these verses in Acts because there's such a misconception. The big misconception, people think Timothy was Timothy because Paul chose him and mentored him. Lucky Timothy. I'm not Timothy because I don't have a Paul. If only we could be so lucky, lucky Timothy. No, right? No, we see that that's not the case. Timothy was Timothy. He was a disciple already. And here it is. And that is why Paul chose him. That's why. It wasn't luck. It wasn't just he got dealt a good hand. He was committed to his personal walk with the Lord. Ordinary commitment of an extraordinary disciple. That's the first one, committed to growth in my walk with Christ, knowing that he's all-sufficient. Number two, personal sacrifice for the cause of Christ. So committed to personal sacrifice for the cause of Christ. So this is verses three through five. Let me just show it to you real quick. Paul, do you see it? Wanted Timothy to accompany him. We know why now. Um, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that, this, that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, uh, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been made and reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. That's the letter that they had that they're bringing around from Acts 15, telling all the new Gentile Christians that they don't have to become Jewish, and everybody's really relieved by that. And... Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Okay? Now, one thing we 
we have to observe this. We can't miss. One of the beauties of doing verse-by-verse preaching is that this passage is right after that passage. So we really cannot allow ourselves to miss the comparison here between John Mark and between Timothy. You know, they're both young guys. They are both guys who seem to have Christian moms and not dads. They both are uh, up for potential being asked to go on this missionary journey. Barnabas wanted John Mark to go. We talked about that last week. They had a disagreement about it. Timothy now will be chosen. So it's just funny. Like the passage last week, Barnabas is like making a case. Let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, nah, I don't think so. And then he goes to this next city and Timothy, and now we see Paul's not opposed to bringing people along. He's like, no, I want this guy. This guy can be on the team. All right, so we can't miss that. I mean, these verses are so close together. Here's something I want to show you, though. If we think about it, Paul, out of conviction and out of faith, I believe, said no to John Mark and to his help. And, and, it, and then he, not only that, he left for the second journey without someone filling John Mark's spot. He left. He, he went to the place where he was stoned. Timothy was not lined up. Paul didn't know he was going to encounter Timothy in Lystra. Paul didn't know Timothy had been maturing and growing and was this great disciple. God knew. Paul didn't know any of that. All Paul did was say no to the thing he was convicted of and had faith to see past wasn't the right thing. And he moved forward by faith. And then God met him in his step of faith and provided Timothy. It's really, it's really profound. Sometimes we need to not settle. We need to have faith in the all-sufficiency of Christ. Nothing is better than the wrong thing. Being single is better than the wrong relationship. So now let's talk about circumcision. (laughs) Um, Circumcision is a necessary thing to discuss real quick uh, because... We're right there, and Paul decides he wants Timothy to go with him on this missionary journey. Timothy had a Gentile dad and a Jewish mother, and so he wasn't circumcised. And so Paul's like, let's talk about circumcision. <laughs> like That's what he said to Timothy, and so it's just passing that along. You can imagine Timothy being like, okay, um, Timothy's a grown man, and that's going to now happen. That's going to now happen. And it's really, really funny, right? I mean, the thing about circumcision is that, you know, we don't, we don't like talk about it a lot in real life outside of the Bible. You know, you talk about it if you are at a hospital and you're having a baby son and they may ask you, are you going to uh, have that procedure done, the circumcision? And you're like, ah, hold on, let me watch a YouTube video real quick. And then you make the decision, and it's like, it's like cramming for the test. You know, it's like, 
learn it enough to pass, then forget it. Like, you know, you don't even think about this very often. Except Christians always, it's always in their Bible. It's in the New Testament. And we just sort of say it and just kind of keep rolling, you know. Um, So I think we owe it to ourselves very quickly to um, talk about what is going on here um, because it actually is very, very helpful for us to get clarity about the gospel and to see this second point of personal sacrifice. So um, we'll try not to get too dicey in our conversation here, but you know, WebMD defines circumcision as, as a surgical removal of a part of the body in boys, the private part, the reproductive organ, a part of it, extra part of it, you could argue, and it is for religious purposes or health purposes. That's what circumcision is. So, um, all right, got that part out of the way. That's actually the hardest part right there. Um, You know, there are some myths around it. You know, according to most medical professionals, it's healthier to be circumcised, but it's not a slam dunk case. And so don't be one of those people that's like, well, God knew what was healthier. That's why the people of God got that. That kind of makes God look bad because it's like, why would he not want the healthy thing for everyone? Like, um, that's not it, okay? Um, In the ancient world, Jews were not the only people who practiced circumcision. However, they were clearly distinguished by this practice from those around them. So quickly in the Old Testament, circumcision became significant theologically when Abraham was asked by God, also like Timothy, as an adult, to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. And you're like, this is crazy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, it was then made a law for every Jewish male On the eighth day, they should be circumcised. It was required to celebrate Passover. Exodus 12. So so what's up with circumcision? Like, Like, why is it so private? Like, why is it not? Like, why can't it be like a, um, I don't know, like a hat or a T-shirt? You know, why is it so private? Um, Okay, well, think about it. Number one, it was put in place for Abraham right after he basically had adultery with Hagar and had Ishmael. And there's an aspect of there is a battle for purity and for honoring the Lord in secret aspects of our lives. So there may be some profoundness to the covenant being that way. It also allows the people of God to be not immediately noticed. And so maybe when they're in Jericho, okay, you don't know someone's a Jew unless you pull their pants down. So there you go. So also, also, the promise was made to Abraham that one of his descendants would be the savior of all humanity. And so this idea of the seed of Abraham goes very well with this covenant, this promise, with this sign that is related to the reproductive organ. So that's why the privacy of it, maybe. Why so permanent, right? 
Why so permanent? Well, our relationship with the Lord is intended to be permanent. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You belong to the Lord when he saves and rescues you. Why so patriarchal? I don't think it was intended that way in in the culture in those days. You know, the ancestral lines were, were counted in every culture, not just Christianity or Judaism, through the male. And so the men got the lucky blessing of circumcision. And now, baptism, which is the sign of the covenant in the New Testament era, is very co-ed. So, okay. What about the New Testament? John the Baptist, Peter, Jesus, Paul, all circumcised on the eighth day, Jewish. The question was, I know we're in the classroom right now, okay? I see some of you nodding off. Just know that I've already noted it down. I have a pen up here. And... um, but, but I, I, I know we're in a little bit of a classroom in this moment, but I think it's worth it because we say this all the time. We're like, circumcision, circumcision. And it's like, what is it? So, so the question in Acts 15 was, should Gentiles be circumcised? In other words, should they become Jewish when they become Christians? Should they start obeying the law of Moses when they become Christians? Like, should that be required? Should there be some external cultural conformity required of a new Christian? Dress code, whatever you want to call it. And in Acts 15, that's the chapter right before this one, the early church decided absolutely not. No. People are not saved by doing stuff like that. People are saved by putting their faith alone in the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone. By grace alone. That's it. And so then they say, but we will ask new Christians to do things out of love and consideration for others, but they didn't ask for circumcision. So so that's what's going on. And all through the New Testament, though, there are still people pushing for circumcision. And Paul has to battle that. You see it in all his letters. That's why it's mentioned so much. But at the end of the day, and here's the end of the talk on circumcision, okay? So be happy. At the end of the day, in the era that we live in, in the Bible, circumcision is mainly seen as a non-factor. It's not required and it's not forbidden. That's how it's viewed. The, in the New Testament, Galatians 5 verse 6, it says, For Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So now back to the point, back to this second commitment of an ordinary, extraordinary disciple. So here's what we need to see. This is it. Timothy was a grown man. Okay? Paul, Paul did not coerce or force or violently make him do this. No, Paul would have had to have cast a vision to Timothy for why this it would be helpful for their mission as they're trying to reach Jews for whom it may be a stumbling block that Timothy is with Paul. And Timothy's this guy with a Gentile dad that grew up in a Jewish mother's home, but they never actually got him circumcised. And so Paul's like, listen, you do not have to be circumcised, Timothy, to be a Christian. Timothy's like, yeah, I know. He's like, good. You do not have to do that stuff. You are free. 
And then Paul says, but, but Timothy, we use our freedom to serve others. We are free, but we're going to express our freedom in personal self-sacrifice for the cause of Christ. And Timothy's a grown man, and he's like, amen. You know? Some say, Paul shouldn't have done this. Just right after Acts 15, where he like won a big legal trial about whether circumcision is required. But no, you miss the point completely if you think that way. What Paul made sure of in Acts 15, and what the church made sure of, is that everyone understood that obeying the law is not required to be saved. But now that that's settled... Doing certain things that are part of the law for the cause of Christ, to remove a stumbling block, to make the mission of God more effective is totally fine. Do you see? It's really, it's really profound here. It says, Luke says it, that the reason they did it, he gives the reason, it's right here, because the Jews in those places all knew his father was a Greek. So let me show you 1 Corinthians 9. Speaking of his ministry, he says, to the Jews I became like a Jew. Do you see? To win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so what Paul is saying is I don't have to do any of these things because I'm free. I'm free in Christ, but I choose to lay down my rights and lay down my freedom and do whatever I need to do for the sake and for the cause of Christ. And Timothy's like, I'm on board with that. It would have been painful, bloody, several days of healing for Timothy to have been circumcised. And yet, he was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do something that makes me say, ouch, for the cause of Christ. Are there things like that in our life? Committed to personal sacrifice for the cause of Christ. It's interesting, you know, I was thinking about the circumcision thing. I was thinking there's so many good examples we could give of it, just to sort of illustrate what is happening here with Paul and with Timothy. You know, some, sometimes people get really uptight about, about what you wear to church, you know? Like, you have, like, people are like, you have to wear a suit and tie. And, and, and like, if someone, if it's such a stumbling block, like, if I, if I were going to go be, like, a guest speaker at a church, and I knew, like, every single person there, that's just what they do, I would, I would maybe wear a tie, you know? I'd just be like, all right, yeah, let's do it. With this, uh, maybe with this shirt. But I'd just be like, yeah, it's fine. Like, who cares? Who cares? I'm free not to, but, but I'll do it. I, I'll do it because, because I want there to be unity. I want there to be love. We need to move the gospel forward. Or maybe you can more relate to this. 
recently there was like some situation in the world that happened where people were like, if you don't do this, I question whether you are even saved. And you're like, all right, fine. Okay. No, I'm free not to do it. Um, this isn't my salvation. I mean, I don't believe in mask righteousness. You know, we're free not to do it. But if it's a stumbling block, like, I can use my freedom to serve you, you know? I can use my freedom to help make sure there's unity in the body of Christ. And sometimes it's wrong to do that, though. Sometimes if, if people really do think, no, that's required to be saved, then maybe it's better to be like, no, we, we, need, to, we need to have this argument, and I'm not going to do it. But that's what's going on here with the circumcision thing. When we use our freedom to serve others, when we live with personal sacrifice for the cause of Christ, you might wonder, what is the result of that? Well, Luke tells us. He shows us right here. Look at verse 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Here it is, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So what happens when a Christian, a disciple, makes ordinary commitments and makes personal sacrifice for the cause of Christ. It has a double impact. It strengthens the faith of Christians, and it causes the number of Christians to increase. It says here, daily. And so let's pray and ask that the Lord would help us be disciples as Timothy was, who are committed to our personal walk with the Lord. No excuses. We have Christ. He is all-sufficient. Lord, help us. Forgive us for the ways in which we act like you are not enough. 